Well, it is great to be with you this evening, and it is especially satisfying to be the first speaker at a conference like this, because it means I get to finish first, and then sit with all of you and enjoy the remaining five sessions of just hearing the Word of God being preached. I've been looking forward to this conference for a while, as best as I can figure it. I believe this is the eighth year uh, that we have had this spring conference with our church and Servant's Heart hosting, and we've had other churches participate along the way. So this, this event is getting some history behind it. Um, I've been thinking about over some of the wonderful subjects we've had the opportunity to look at over the past several years. We've talked about God and His attributes. We've talked about the Bible and why we can trust it. We've talked about the person and the work of Christ. We've talked about the cross and the atonement. We took a year to talk about parenting and raising great kids. We looked at various psalms, and last year we spent time in the parables of Jesus. I know I speak for Dan as well as myself when I say that we have been very encouraged over the years by what God has done in and through these gatherings together. And we remain very grateful for every speaker who agrees to come and to participate. And we remain very grateful that you would give up evenings of your week to come and to hear the word of God proclaimed by feeble servants. Um, I certainly pray that God will put his blessings on these three evenings and that he would do great things among us. And friends, this year, the theme is love. It's love. My heart does two things when I hear that. On the one hand, my heart rejoices because what could be better in this world than thinking about God's love? Is there anything more wonderful and encouraging to dwell on than the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love for us as given to us in Jesus Christ. There is a very real sense in which this is the Mount Everest of subjects, in which this is the most glorious of all topics. As we just sang, how great is the love of God. And so my heart rejoices. At the same time, when I hear that the theme for this conference is love, my heart feels immediate conviction. Because I stand before you tonight as a man who needs a conference like this. I need to hear the word of God about this subject because I am guilty of being unloving. I am guilty of selfishness and putting my wants and my needs above other people. I get excited When I think about God's love for me, but I also feel the shame of knowing how inconsistent and weak my love for God and my love for others can be. Self-love, which keeps me from loving others as I ought, runs deep in me. And I suspect it runs deep in you, too. And so if there is a call that we want to ring out over these three nights, it is the call to love. And we want to ring out that call because it is at the very heart of the Bible. Let me just read for you some very familiar verses, but I want them to fall on you with fresh weight. So hear these verses as if you've never heard them 
before to see the centrality of love in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. We could do the whole chapter, but just the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40 Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Colossians 3.14 And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. And of course, the end to 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And on and on we could go. Here is the call of God upon our lives. That we love. Here is the sum of of the law and the prophets that we love. The command comes in various forms. Love God, love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemy. And we're going to spend time in this conference narrowing in on each of those commands. But friends, do you see how easy it would be to attend a conference like this and to come away feeling beat up? You go to a love conference and you go home feeling Depressed because you see how fall, how far you and I fall short of the great standard that God has set for us. We might even despair that people so full of selfishness and sin could ever be a loving people the way Christ loves. And so that's why our passage here helps so tremendously and is such a good place for us to start this conference. Because there is help and there is encouragement and there is gospel glory in this passage that I hope will set the tone for the way you hear the rest of the conference. So look with me at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Very familiar passage and rightly so. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 7. This is the very word of God. Here's what we read. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. It would take far more time than we have tonight to fully unpack that passage. But what I want us to see tonight is the key that it contains for helping us grow as loving people. So you see the command, right? It's verse 7, let us love one another. The command is repeated in verse 11, we also ought to love one another. So there's the command. But what this passage gives us is the key to fulfilling that command. And it's spoken twice. Once in verse 7, once in verse 8. And then it's explained in greater detail in verses 9 through 12. But what is the key? The key is knowing God. Verse 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so John is saying that there is a connection between knowing God and loving others. To love as I ought to love, I must know God. And the connection becomes even clearer when we see from verse 7 this all-important truth. Love comes from God. Do you see it, verse 7? Love is from God, John says, meaning all true love is ultimately God's love. It's His first All true love belongs to God. All true love comes from God. Love is not a created thing. Love is an eternal thing existing within God Himself. So I can't drum up love from within myself. I can't look deep into my own heart and try and manufacture love for others. I'll always fall short. If I am to love others with true love, I must first come to God and receive that love myself. This is why knowing God is so huge. It is in our relationship with Him that we find true love for ourselves and then God loves others through us. Say it differently. As we know God... As we experience God's love ourselves, we find that His love transforms us and fills us, and God begins to love others even through us. The love we show to others is the overflow of God's love for us. Friends, you cannot give what you don't have. The first thing we need to understand about the call to love others is that it is first and foremost a call to draw near to God in your brokenness and in your sinfulness and in your guilt and experience God's love for yourself. 
You must live in the awesome reality of God's love for you. And only then will you truly be able to love others as you ought. And I simply cannot say how important this truth is for the Christian life. My parents and my sister and her family all live in Alabama. So we get to go there fairly often. And in Alabama, football is everything. It is an idol for many. And Bear Bryant, the old football coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, is like a patron saint in that state. If you were to visit the University of Alabama practice field, one of the things you would notice is Coach Bryant's tower. When he became the head coach there in the late 50s, he had the school put up this tower so that he could sit at the top of it and look down over the practice field and watch all the different athletes running through their drills with their position coaches. Uh, From where he sat, he could see the whole field. And perhaps more importantly, every player and every position coach knew that they were being watched throughout the practice. As one man put it, the authority and the sovereignty and the presence of Coach Bryant was being felt by every person on the practice field. And what drove them to excellence was fear. They were afraid to hear the clanking of the chains that would mean that Coach Bryant had seen something he didn't like and he was coming down out of his tower to bring a correction. Well, unfortunately, that's exactly the way many seem to view the Christian life. They hear all of these commands in the Bible including the greatest command to love, and out of fear, they try to do the best they can in their own strength, always looking over their shoulder, afraid of what God might be thinking or feeling towards them. Is that you? Do you ever think of God as the heavenly policeman? Have you ever been driving when a state trooper pulled in behind you, and all of a sudden these thoughts flashed through your mind? Am I speeding? Am I staying in the lines? Are any of my lights out? Is my registration up to date? 10 and 2? Right? It's obedience driven by fear. But what John is telling us here is that the Christian life is very different from that. The Christian life is not to be driven primarily by fear. No, not at all. We are not to look to ourselves. We are not to look to our own strength to be what God has called us to be. Instead, John is calling us here to know the God of love. And God's love for us is to be the driving force of the Christian life. Here is what is to get us up in the morning. I am loved by God. Can you believe it? Me. (laughs) Me. I mean, do you know me? Right? And I am loved by God. And in all of my greed and my pride and my lust and my selfishness and my self-centeredness, deserving of the flames of hell itself. And God loves me. I can't explain it. I don't deserve it. But I am loved by God. Certainly you see that when John speaks of knowledge in these verses, 
He is not talking about intellectual knowledge or head knowledge. Some of that has to be there for sure. But John is talking here about relational knowledge. I know God is my God, as my Father, as my Savior, as my rock, as the lover of my soul. And as I have this relationship with Him, wherein I rest in His love, I live in His love, I find my security in His promises, in His protection, in His leadership, in His provision, in my relationship with God, I find all that I need so that I can then not worry about myself so much and start caring for you and your needs and the things going on in your life. All of this is true because of this wonderful statement that God is love. So let me give you four propositions about this statement. God is love. This statement is wonderful. It is also often misused. It is often abused. So let me give you four statements, four propositions about this phrase, God is love. Number one. This is not a sentimental statement. This is not a sentimental statement. Sometimes people just say things because they sound nice. The words have sentimental value, but they don't really mean much. You go to Hallmark, you look through the cards that are there, you see what I mean. Many of you probably gave somebody a card for Valentine's last week. You look back over it, were the words sentimental or were they substantial? Did they really say something, or were they just fluff and sounded nice? And if that's what you're going for, nothing wrong with that, but fluff. Some people take this statement that God is love, and they treat it as fluff. They put it on a quilt. They put it in a frame on a wall in their bathroom. There are God is love bookmarks, God is love bumper stickers, God is love ink pens, God is love coffee mugs, God is love t-shirts. And yet many of the same people who have those kinds of items, when confronted by a real trial in their lives, become so anxious and shaken and unsettled that you begin to see they really don't understand what those three words mean at all. The statement is sentimental to them, but it is having no real practical effect in their lives. You see, God is love isn't a sentimental statement. It is a substantive statement. It is a statement of fact. It is a statement about God's attitude and his actions towards all who are in right relationship with him. Those who really understand that God is love can weather a hurricane in their lives with deep peace and joy, rejoicing even through their tears because they know who their God is. And what he's like. God is love is a faithful, take it to the bank, stake your life upon it kind of statement. Those who really get it are willing to be eaten by lions, burnt at stakes, shot down by AK-47s for the name of Jesus. And they're able to praise his name with their last breath. It is not a sentimental statement. It is a substantive statement. Number two, this is not an exhaustive statement. It's not an exhaustive statement. Some people treat these three words, God is love, as if they say everything that needs to be said about God. In fact, some use this statement to exclude everything else the Bible might teach about God that they don't like. 
God cannot be angry at sinners because God is love. God would not be opposed to gay marriage because God is love. God would never ask me to do something I don't want to do because God is love. Hell cannot exist because God is love. You see, this verse becomes a whack-a-mole mallet. And every time some other truth about God pops up that the person doesn't like, they whack it back down saying, but God is love. But there are at least two problems with viewing this verse that way. First, it doesn't allow God to define his own terms. We don't get to decide what God means when he says he is love. We don't get to determine the definition of love or what true love looks like. In fact, if I may say so, I wonder if there is any concept that our culture has more radically twisted and misdefined than this word, love. Just turn on the radio. God gave us a bigger Bible than just 1 John 4. We cannot come to the Bible and tell God what he means when he says he is love. Instead, we must learn from him. And we must learn from all the word of God what true love is and what it looks like. God gets to define his own terms. That's what it means to be God. But then second, viewing God is love as an exhaustive statement simply won't work. Because there are other verses in the Bible with the exact same construction that say more. For example, in John 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is spirit. Or here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. And then there's Hebrews 12, 29, which doesn't show up on as many quilts. God is a consuming fire. So yes, God is love, but there is more to be said about who God is, and we must never use these three words to flatten out or to deny other truths about God. Are we clear on that? All right. Number three, this is an ontological statement, okay? Ontological. This is an ontological statement, so don't trip up over that word. It just means that this statement does say something about the very being of God. This statement, God is love, does say something about God's very nature, God's very essence. It is different than saying God is loving. That is absolutely true. But this is deeper. This tells us why God is loving. God is loving because he is love. Meaning, love is integral to who God is. If you removed love from the Godhead, God would not be God any longer. Because He is love. This is only true because God is Trinity. You ever thought about that? Love is not a passive thing. Love is an active thing. But if God was only one person, as the cults believe... As the false religions teach, then how could God be love? If God was just one person, then for all eternity past, there was nothing to love. If God was only one person, then for all eternity past, before creation, there was no object for his love. And this is where people get crazy ideas 
Like the notion that God is needy and that he created the world because he needed somebody to love. They pictured God up in heaven singing queen songs. Can anybody find me somebody to love? That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a triune God. He is Father, He is Son, He is Spirit. And for all eternity, these three persons have existed as one God. And within the Godhead, for all eternity, there has been incredible, mighty love flowing between these persons. In fact, all of the love that exists is made up of this love. The love of the Father for the Son. The love of the Son for the Father. Over and over again in Scripture, we read of the Father's love for the Son. Matthew 12, 18, quoting from Isaiah, shows that Jesus really is the promised Messiah. And how did God, speaking through Isaiah, describe the Messiah? He said, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. Or consider John three thirty five, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Or John 5.20, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. The Father is holy, meaning that He loves all that is good with an infinite love. He hates all that is evil with an infinite repulsion. When the Father looks upon His own Son, sees His own image, He sees perfect goodness, and the inherent response of the Father is infinite love springing towards His Son. And the same is true on behalf of the Son towards the Father. This is why we constantly see Christ submitting to his Father's will. His love for his Father is shown in obedience. Uh, John 8, 28, 29, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so the Son is just like the Father. He's perfectly holy. He loves all that is good with an infinite love. So when He looks at the Father, He sees pure goodness. And infinite love springs towards the Father. As infinite love from the Father springing towards the Son. And infinite love meets infinite love in the Godhead. And where's the Holy Spirit in all this? Well, at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit came down from the Father to the Son as an emblem of His love. He came down as a dove. Remember the story? And hopefully you know doves were a picture of love in the ancient world. It's why the Song of Solomon is full of dove language. You can tell your wife weird things like your teeth are as pretty as doves and it meant something then. Everyone standing there at Jesus' baptism that day knew exactly what the dove meant. It meant that the Father loved the Son. And Jonathan Edwards' great theory is that just as God's idea of himself is itself a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so also God's love for himself, his love for his Son, and his Son's love for the Father is in fact itself a person, the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, the love and the joy that God the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father is pictured as a fountain of living waters that is given to us. And that fountain is called the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is pictured as water, as fire, as breath, as wine, as spring, as a river. The Bible uses all of these pictures for the Spirit, but they all refer to God's joy in Himself as the Father of His Son and the joy of the Son as He loves His Father springing forth in a way that you and I get to take part in it through the Holy Spirit. So yes, God is love is an ontological statement. It says something about the very being of God. And then finally... This is a gospel statement. It is a gospel statement. Because where does John go to help us understand what he means when he says God is love? He goes straight to Jesus. And he goes straight to the cross. Do you see it? End of verse 8. God is love. Verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. That we might live through him. Verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do we come to know the God who is love? How do we come to experience God's love? How do we come to live in God's love? Answer. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the well. In whom God the Father has poured all of his love. It is through Christ that we know God. It is through Christ that we have God as our God and His love is our love. Can I read you an astounding passage? I think this is one of the most amazing passages in the entire Bible. Hear Jesus pray in John 17, beginning in verse 24, and just let your jaw drop open in wonder as you hear these words. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known, listen, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Think about what we hear in those verses. Just in those verses, we learn that that the redeemed people are a gift from the Father to the Son. We learn that the Father has loved the Son even before the foundations of the world. We learn that the glory of Jesus is in fact the glory of the Father reflected We learn that every person that comes to Christ does so because the Father has chosen them and sent them to Jesus. We learn that the Son makes known to His people the glory of the Father. We learn that as Jesus makes known to His people the glory of the Father, the love of the Father for the Son comes to dwell inside them. And that Christ Himself through the Spirit comes to dwell inside them. Friends, what can be more astounding than this? As Christians... We are now and forever included and swept up in the great love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father. When we are united to Christ by faith, we become one with Christ. His Father becomes our Father and the love that Jesus knows from His Father becomes ours as well. And friends, this is an objective, unchanging love. It doesn't waver. It doesn't fickle. All of our human relationships are like that. There are times when the love is strong. There are times when the love is weak. But when we have come as helpless sinners 
and entrusted ourselves to Jesus Christ and his mercy, we obtain a love that is solid as a rock. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, whether we like it or not. Because God has determined that he has set his love on us and he will not let us go. And it doesn't matter whether we're having a good day or a bad day. It does not depend on our emotions in the moment. The love of God is an objective reality for every Christian. The love of God is an anchor that brings steadiness and peace no matter what storms come into your life. I'm out of time and there's so much more to say. And I'm grateful that we will hear from these other men about how the love of God given to us in Christ changes us and helps us to love others. So let me simply close by reminding you of this first chief point that I want to just put up as the banner over the rest of this conference. And here it is. The way to be a loving person is to know the God of love through faith in Jesus Christ. The way to be a loving person is to know the God of love through faith and Jesus Christ. And when you know this God, loving others goes from duty to delight as you yourself swim in the ocean of God's love. Let's pray.